Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. Hello, Renew. Uh, Bobby Wrigley here. It's my pleasure to share with you this week. And I must say, I miss seeing all of you. Uh, if we haven't met, I live in Lansdale Borough, and I co-shepherd one of the Lansdale House churches with Joel. So my emotions, they've been a roller coaster the past four months. Anxiety, confusion, anger, pain, but also times of peace, calm, quiet, and focus. Processing these emotions isn't helped by the constant distractions at my fingertips poking for my attention. The option to gather more information, to scroll, to react, to respond, to speak, to share, to watch, it's really unrelenting. And speaking of roller coasters, did you hear about the amusement park in Japan that reopened recently with a rule, a guideline, no screaming to help prevent the spread of coronavirus? Now, screaming, it's a natural reaction to being on a roller coaster. But they are asking people to please scream inside your heart and not out loud. Is that even possible? <laughs> well, they have a promotional video with stone-faced and quiet participants to prove that, yes, it's possible. When life feels to be falling out from below you or you feel upside down, it's natural to want to scream, to ramp up the emotions, to turn up the volume, to solidify where you stand. But I know from my own life, that I sometimes do this in my own power, running ahead of or falling behind Jesus. Jesus is looking for friends, friends who know his heart and obey his way. And this movement into friendship with God is quiet. It's hidden. It can seem counterintuitive. It can feel like being on a roller coaster and holding in your scream at times. Jesus was no stranger to living through a time of upheaval. As we look at how he navigated his life and the instructions he gave his disciples and the mission he accomplished on the cross, we find our way. We find a way to process life, and it's with God, abiding in his love. Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John 15. We've been studying through the Gospel of John, and this week we are right in the middle of Jesus' final words to his disciples his farewell discourse. These are Jesus's intimate teachings to those closest to him. And what strikes me is Jesus's calm resolve, his undeterred mission, his non-anxious presence in the midst of such a tumultuous hour. Jesus is leading his disciples through a moment of crisis. And as the discourse begins in chapter 13, Jesus knows that his hour has come, his hour to depart. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love is what propelled Jesus' ministry, and love remains his motivator to the end. Night descends on the light of the world. After Judas leaves to betray Jesus, after Judas leaves the group, the writer remarks, and it was night. Death is knocking at the life of the world's door, but Jesus' disciples aren't tracking with him. 
They aren't sure where he is going, despite his many hints and warnings. They don't understand the enemy Jesus has come to defeat. It isn't the Romans, and it isn't the religious elites in Jerusalem. Rather, it's the accuser behind those forces that Jesus plans to defeat. Death itself, the anti-creation force at work in the world. As he says in uh, chapter 14, verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. All right, so instead of reading all of chapter 15, I want to highlight some points. And I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter before house church on Sunday. So Jesus starts off the chapter claiming that he is the true vine and we are called to draw our nourishment from him as the branches. This image, this image of a vine, it's pulled from the Jewish threads of imagery. In the listener's consciousness, they were the vine God planted. They were the vine God planted in the promised land to flourish. So Jesus's claim is shocking and it comes with a warning. Vineyard imagery shows up in a positive light in Psalm 80, verse 7 to 9. This is Psalm 80. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The prophets also, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Hosea, pick up the vineyard motif to point out the bad fruit coming out of Israel, the stinky grapes. So here it is as a judgment in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? That was uh, Isaiah 5, 3, 3 to 5. So God sets them up to flourish and they produce wild grapes, more literally stinky, sour grapes. Jesus's claim that he is the true vine carries with it a word of judgment that God's people have lost their way. They haven't lived up to their calling to be a city on a hill shining bright for the, for the rest of the world. But God is up to something new in Jesus, not forgetting his promise to his people, but sending the necessary antidote, establishing a vine to provide sustenance for our souls. As branches drawing nourishment from the vine, we have a new identity and role that Jesus calls us to, to love the other branches around us. Check out verse 12 in uh, John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Love is Jesus's aim, and it's what he has demonstrated from start to finish. The fruit he is looking for in our lives is love for one another, but he knows he must confront death itself to kickstart this movement of love, to kickstart this kingdom. N.T. Wright says in Simply Jesus, speaking of Jesus' sacrifice, he says this, He cannot establish the new creation without allowing the poison in the old to have its full effect. He cannot launch God's kingdom of justice, truth, and peace 
unless injustice, lies, and violence do their worst and like a hurricane, blow themselves out, exhausting their force on this one spot. The ruler of this world is coming, as Jesus says at the end of chapter 14, and Jesus is ready to meet the accuser head on. And love is his motivator. He lays down his life because he loves his own. Just 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, speaking of the relational love of Jesus, he loved me and gave himself for me. So how did Jesus do it? How did he love so well, even to the end? Through his friendship with God, through his communion with the Father, he knew his identity. So how do we do it? How do we love like Jesus did? I believe it's through becoming friends with Jesus, through our communion with him, through knowing our identity in him. Uh, The book that some of you might be familiar with, uh, Everybody Always by Bob Goff was passed my way this month. And I love what he says about Jesus's command to love. He says, God wants to use people like us to show the world what we know about Jesus by having them see the way we love the people around us, particularly the difficult ones. This kind of love is birthed out of a friendship with God. And when I'm challenged to love the difficult ones, it's an opportunity to grow in humility, remembering that God loves me. He calls me friend, and I know how difficult I can be at times. Loving others gives us the opportunity to to grow in our capacity to receive love from God. Check out verse 15 in John chapter 15. Verse 15, he says, But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls us friends. This is a rare title that was only used to describe Moses and Abraham's relationship with God. What characterizes such friends is that they spend time with and obey God. What characterizes friends is that they spend time with and obey God. Friends carve out space in their life to abide, to enjoy, to listen, to journey with one another. God is looking for participants in his efforts in the world, friends, people who know his heart for the world. He wants to grant us the dignity of asking and receiving. He takes pleasure in seeing us join in him. He takes pleasure in seeing us join him in his redemptive work. He loves seeing us expectant of his spirit. Now, this chapter finishes with Jesus turning the tables on his disciples, focusing not on his own hour of trial, but warning them that they too will face trials for following him. And if ever there was a time to be anxious and fearful, now would be the time. But Jesus is firm in his mission. He's firm in his identity. He knows the Father has sent him for this, and he is ready to love his own to the end. With this in mind, Jesus turns his hour on his disciples, equipping them for their hour. Jesus uses his hour of trial to love and equip his disciples for their coming hour of testing. This is what love does. It spills out to those around it, even even during the most trying times, even when it's misunderstood. Jesus is inviting us into the life of love that he knew with his father. When I was 10 years old, I went on the trip of a lifetime with my parents and two older sisters. 
living in Michigan at the time, we we flew out to Denver, rented an RV. And my mother, she was a teacher at the time, so she had the summer off. And my dad saved up his time off for a three-week road trip. So we hit the road from Denver, stopping at as many national parks and sites as possible. Rocky Mountain, Garden of the Gods, Pikes Peak, the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, Ogden, Utah, the Grand Canyon, Sedona, Arizona. I don't know how my parents managed to pull off such an epic road trip. And as a 10-year-old boy, the mountains, rocks, rivers, valleys, canyons, gold mines, and waterfalls moved my heart to so much excitement and adventure. I was wide-eyed, drawn to wonder. I probably said, wow, look at that, a thousand times, likely to my sister's annoyance. They were 14 and 16 at the time, and their experience, I think, was a little different from mine. Now, mind you, this was the year 1998, the year Google search engine was founded. The U.S. government reported a budget surplus for the first time in 30 years. The International Space Station was be beginning to be built. The iMac was released. Windows 98 came out. 1998, it was, it was the year before the Columbine shooting. Things in 1998, they were peachy, at least in my little world, as I watched America's Funniest Home videos at night with my family. But for my sisters, they had entered the complicated life of being a teenager. In popular culture at this time, Titanic had just come out, Shania Twain, Celine Dion, Janet Jackson, Backstreet Boys, and Hanson's song, Mbop, had taken over the airways. While my sisters appreciated the trip, they also had other things on their minds, hindering them from soaking it all in with the same enthusiasm I did. As a 10-year-old boy, the complexity of life had not hit me yet, and I was free to get lost in the journey as we explored out west. The world seems like a much different place now. Part of that is me growing up. Another part is our world has changed and the political landscape has shifted. But what strikes me is how, as humans, there will always be distractions, chaos, and suffering calling, calling for our attention. Times have certainly changed. But even in Jesus's life, we see that he was inundated with numerous distractions threatening to derail his friendship with God, to drain his love, and to fail his mission. As hard as life gets, as complicated as the issues become, and as chaotic as the world around us gets, our mission doesn't change, to love God and love others. Our identity in Christ is only in jeopardy when we allow the trials of life to drown out the whisper of the Spirit calling us His beloved and leading us into the joy of knowing Him. It seems counterintuitive, but to retreat into communion with God is what we and the world desperately needs right now. We need the joy that comes from communion with Jesus so we can be transformed people of love, slow to speak, and quick to listen. As Jesus says in John 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that you may, that I'm sorry, these things I have spoken to you that my jo joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. To follow Jesus, it's to maintain a vital connection to his life-giving power. Discipleship isn't merely a matter of acknowledging who Jesus is. It is having Jesus spiritually connected to our inner lives. To enjoy the fruit, we must prioritize communion with God.
This is a quiet move, a hidden walk, a secret place. God's transforming power whispers to us, and there is much in our world that drowns out that whisper. I think we need to let this idea of friendship with God work on us. It really is a shocking idea. It's a step beyond the transaction of forgiveness and into the world of reconciliation of a relationship. Let me say that again. It's a step beyond the transaction of forgiveness and into the world of a reconciliation of a relationship. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace and reconciliation, restoration of friendly relations. Reconciliation is God saying, let's get back to where we began. Let's restart. Let's get back to the embrace. I want you as a friend. God wants friends, partners, participants in his efforts in the world. This is how he originally intended things. The transaction of forgiveness is the doorway into a reconciled relationship with God. And it's a beautiful house to dwell in. I heard it said in a conversation with some guys from Renew, you need quantity of time to get quality time. This is something true of all relationships. So what we are talking about here is how are we carving out time to develop our friendship with God? I know for myself, this means routines, but it also means not confining the spirit to my routine times, being open and expectant for God to surprise me with his love throughout the day. It means pausing when I feel tempted towards impatience or frustration and allowing the spirit to catch me. To be quiet on the roller coaster so I can hear his voice. I think this means taking inventory of what in our life is deforming us away from the image of Christ and putting those influences in their proper place, not giving them full reign of our time, our minds, our hearts. This means sitting in the silence with God, allowing him to speak, learning to discern his voice. Really practically, this means for me, waking up and not touching any technology for an hour so I have time to think, breathe, and commune with God and His Word. It means parenting my phone. Yes, parenting my phone, putting it to sleep before I go to sleep, giving me time to collect my thoughts before bed. So take inventory of where your attention is being held. Attention precedes worship. When we look at Jesus's life, how he lived it, how he faced the complexities of his time, we see how he prioritized his communion with the Father. So maybe the best thing you could do for your spouse is commune with God. Maybe the best thing you could do for your kids is commune with God. Maybe the best thing you could do for your coworkers or your friends is to commune with God. If you are not abiding, what do you have to offer to the community? Strawn Coleman, he's a writer and musician, he says this about becoming God's friend. Prayer is less about information transfer or polite dialogue. It's about the movement of empathy from heaven to earth 
and the slaying of the loneliness in the depths of us. I want to read that one more time. Prayer is less about information transfer or polite dialogue. It's about the movement of empathy from heaven to earth and the slaying of the loneliness in the depths of us. This kind of prayer, this life with God, leads us into a deep knowing and being known by God, a peace that accompanies us ever, everywhere we go. Now, I don't want you to leave this with the overwhelming thought of how far you still have to go. Rather, fix your eyes on the glory of God and the mystery that he would call us friends. Friendship with God involves our participation, but he does the work in us. And learn patience. Fruit doesn't usually grow immediately. We love quick fixes and quick transformations. But did you know it takes at least three years for grapes to be harvested after the vine is first planted? I work in the coffee industry, and the same is true for coffee. After the seedlings are tended in a nursery, they are planted, and you won't get a harvest for three to four years. And even then, the older trees produce the best fruit. So learn patience. This process of the water, the sun, the soil, the nutrients, they bring growth, eventually a bud, flowers, then fruit, and a harvest. You need quantity of time in order to get quality time. Prioritizing our friendship with God provides us the soil, provides us the vine, the sun, the rain, the fertilizer we need to be transformed into the fruit this world needs, the fruit God delights to see in the world. And Jesus, driven by love, went to the cross, loving his own to the end so that he could restore relationship with us, dismantling the ruler of this world in order to open up the doorway to unhindered communion with him. So brothers and sisters, the most important thing for you to do still is to prioritize your friendship with God, to abide in Christ and allow him to reconcile you to God, to live in his reality, to allow him to transform you in the way you interact with the world, to be showered with his love, equipped to love others. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.